What's up, guys? This is Mike. This is Dave, and you're listening to the Mike and Dave Podcast. What's going on, everybody? This is Mike, and we have reached the conclusion of the 2021 NBA season with the Milwaukee Bucks beating the Phoenix Suns in six games in the NBA Finals. So big congratulations to the Milwaukee Bucks there. And I get to save face just a little bit. This should be the last time we talk about it. But, of course, my bold prediction for the playoffs was the Suns getting swept in the first round. They got to the finals. And, hey, at least they didn't win at all. So I guess there's that. At the end of the day, the Bucks are the champions. Dave, what is your reaction to the NBA finals this year? What's up, everybody? This is Dave. And I've just got to say, that performance by Giannis in Game 6 got to be if not the best closeout performance in the finals all time, then it's 100% in the conversation. It was just unbelievable to witness how he pretty much just put the team on his back and it didn't really matter what type of defense or what the Suns tried to do to stop him. He was just not going to be denied. And you could just tell he wanted to close it out right right then, right there. There was not going to be a game seven. He was going to get it done in game six and he was going to be an NBA champion. And it was just really cool to witness, especially because Giannis has been one of those players who, even though he's a back-to-back MVP, even though he's one defensive player of the year, there's still a lot of critics out there of Giannis, mostly because he's not a great perimeter shooter. He doesn't create as much for others, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, but when you, it comes down to it, I think he proved everybody wrong uh, who was doubting him and show that he can lead the team to a championship. And now he's one of three players all time who have won MVP, Defensive Player of the Year, and Finals MVP in their careers. And he's, what, 26? So he's he's still got, realistically, what, seven, eight years left? There's a lot that he can accomplish in that time, and the Bucks do look set up for success in the future with the players that they have now. Uh, cause it's definitely a win now team on the sun side. I do feel bad for Chris Paul cause it must've been pretty hard to be so close and not quite get there and be his age. And obviously with all the struggles that he's had and the injuries and the bad luck. Uh, so I do feel bad, but he's got that huge player option that he can pick up if he so chooses the Suns are built for a long-term success with all their young players, Aiton played out of his mind. Booker played a lot better than I think either of us expected him to. Jay Crowder was a great piece for them. McCall Bridges played well. I mean, Cam Johnson, they have a lot of really solid young talent there. And I think Chris Paul would probably be wise to to stick with them because they almost did it. And next year, they're going to be uh, one year wiser, one year more mature. And also, they've had that experience. Whereas previously, the only experience they had was in the bubble which is kind of where this whole thing started when they went on that winning streak in the bubble a couple years ago so uh yeah big shout out to the bucks but also like the suns they did a great job they had a great run and they showed that the regular season wasn't a fluke and that they deserve to be a top two seed and uh shout out to monty williams as well like i've i gained a lot of respect for him based on everything that I saw throughout the playoffs, how I went and congratulated the the Bucks in the locker room afterwards. Uh, 
yeah, just a really classy guy. Definitely shout out to the Suns and the Bucks for a great series. I remember texting you during game six saying, I'm watching greatness. And that's what I'll remember from this series. That closeout game is top three to me with Walt Clyde Frazier in back in like 73 and Magic Johnson during his rookie year when he had to step in at center and go off against Daryl Dawkins. I can't necessarily put one over the other, but to me, those are the clear top three in history with his like 50 and 14 and five blocks, but not just tip blocks, right? Highlight real blocks, pretty much each and every one of them. The Bucks proved a lot of doubters wrong. One thing I'll say about the Suns, I'm not going to say they're not built for future success. I think like Booker, like you said, did play better than either of us anticipated him playing. DeAndre Ayton, for the most part, did as well, pretty much until game six where he got demolished. Yeah, but like, let's be honest, who was really going to stop him? Like, yeah, fair. He was, I think no matter who you put in his place, like Giannis was going to finish that game, like I was talking about earlier. Though I will give Aiden credit, like he's he played really well and he, he started showing that maybe it, it wasn't a terrible decision for him to be drafted number one. Obviously, like Luca, Trey been better but yeah I, I think he's going to be a much bigger piece moving forward more reminiscent of that number one pick that he was i'm not trying to sound like a Suns hater here but i just look at the western conference and this season lebron was compromised ad wasn't healthy i mean Kawhi got hurt ad's Jamal always Murray wasn't it's anthony data davis so yeah, I mean, Anthony Davis is always going to be, or is pretty much always hurt. You you heard me say this one a couple episodes ago, I think. The Nuggets, if Jamal Murray didn't get hurt, I I have a lot of faith in that team. Uh, who knows what Portland's going to look like next year. If they are able to move McCollum, keep lower there, and bring in a, another like better supporting piece that like fits better with that, that's a team to contend with. Uh, who knows what the Mavericks are going to look like? I don't know. I can't help but feel like this was Chris Paul's chance, at least on the Suns, unless he wants to ring chase and like go to the Lakers or something, which I don't really see him doing. He better not. I yeah for for like his reputation's sake, he better not. But on the other side of it, he's thirty six years old and he values winning, and he has never won a ring. I I wouldn't put it past him. And that's not to shade him. It's just saying, like, at, at some point, he's got to look at, I haven't won this yet. What do I need to do? I just don't know that I see Phoenix getting back in the next three years. So I guess that's what I have to say about that, that I hate to say it, but Chris Paul, like, as far as legacy goes, is probably a top five point guard. If not top five, top six, seven, I can't put them any lower than seven. But not having a ring kind of hurts. Yeah, it definitely does. And again, like we've talked about previously on this podcast, Chris Paul's whole whole thing is like he'll do whatever to win. He'll alert the refs of an untucked jersey. He'll 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 go to whatever petty moves he has to do in order to try to get the advantage. So I think for him, it would be really hard to retire and not have that ring. But, you know, we'll just wait and see. 
and what he decides to do, I I would respect him running it back with the Suns because I mean they were two games away. Uh, they they performed really well, and the Bucks, you know, Giannis just did his thing, and Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday they did enough to support him when it mattered. So, yeah, it's a shame about Chris Paul, but there have been a lot of players who have who have never won a ring who are still still in the Hall of Fame, still viewed as great players. Um, and I think a lot of the time we get caught up in saying what guys didn't do rather than what they did do. Uh, and that's one of like the things about Jordan is like he never lost in the finals. So he, it kind of like that. I, th- I think that to me, that's what raises him to that like myth, like mythical status. Cause it's like, he never, you know, but even him, like he retired and he played baseball and like all this stuff. Like there's always going to be stuff that people talk about, but I think he showed that like he can lead a team and just overall, he did an amazing job coming in. Cause I mean, how many first year players other than like, I mean, Kawhi did it, but like first year players come in and make such an impact on the team and be the guy who like carries them all the way and like shows them what to like how to win. Just to clarify, like first year as in a player spending his first year on that team. Yeah, no, not as rookie. Yeah, I'm not saying I'm not saying rookies. Though it's interesting actually if you if we compare the Suns to the Raptors, let's say Chris Paul leaves. Like the Raptors could not figure out how to put it together after Kawhi left. Yeah. Of course they actually won. The Suns didn't. But it would be interesting to see would the Suns kind of be the same or like suffer the same fate as the Raptors of getting to that point and then just not being able to replicate it without that their leader, without the guy. Um and you know, who knows, maybe Devin Booker will turn into that. <sighs> I hope not. But uh but I mean, we'll just have to wait and see. I doubt it. And that's coming from like the main criticism I've had of Devin Booker for the past like two years has been, I just don't trust him as a leader. It has nothing to do with his ability to put the ball in the basket. It's just, I don't see him as leading a team. And that's why I initially doubted the Suns. And I absolutely doubt their ability without Chris Paul, like Chris Paul, balled out on the court but it's his leadership above all else that needs to be valued here we we alluded to this idea that chris paul might ring chase and that just makes me think of what Giannis said after winning which is that they did it the right way they they won the right way he was drafted in 2013 or in 20 yeah ahead of the 2013 2014 season and he stayed there his whole career. He knew he didn't want to leave until Milwaukee got a championship. Chris Middleton has been there with him for eight years. Giannis could have very easily went to a bigger market and played with other superstars, but he didn't. He said, like, I want to build this team around me and I want to bring this championship home. And when he said that, you know, I did it the right way. That puts players like KD on blast. Of course, like KD with arguably the softest move by a superstar in NBA history, going to that Warriors team. Like his two rings looks, the two rings look pathetic anyway. But now that Giannis has said that, I think it does a lot for the sport of basketball, really putting pressure on superstars now, because now there's this, like this 
counter to compare that to where you don't have to join your best friends to win a championship because you can grow a team and do it yourself or not do it yourself, but you can grow a team around you, be the guy without having to jump ship somewhere else. Right. And the Bucks main additions came like their main addition was Drew Holiday and they traded a lot to get him. So the Bucks, you know, that's that's a missing piece that they needed. They traded and they traded for him. They got it and it paid off. So, yeah, again, congratulations to the Bucks on a great NBA finals. And I think this was a great NBA playoffs all around. Uh, obviously, as Hawks fans, we appreciated their run. Uh, but still, even watching after the fact, uh, it was it was really entertaining to see two teams that weren't necessarily super teams uh, compete in the finals. And it was still pretty entertaining and, and really fun to watch. So with the finals behind us, now our focus is on the NBA draft. We're actually going to watch the draft here in a little bit. And we're going to come back and give you our initial reactions and impressions uh, and break it all down for you guys. Uh, so we'll be right back. All right. So it is 1.15 in the morning. The draft literally just ended. And to show you our commitment, we stayed up. We want to give you our immediate takeaways. If we sound tired or if we sound like we hit that second wind, that's why. So we just watched the draft and we got plenty to discuss with you. We have four superlatives we wanted to sort of go with this theme again. So the four superlatives we wanted to address are the biggest surprise of the draft, the best fit, the worst fit, the rookie of the year predictions, and we want to talk about the biggest trade of the night. Well, let's go ahead and talk about that big trade first. You know, a lot of the time we're going to have different picks for this, but there was no competition tonight. The biggest trade was that blockbuster Russell Westbrook deal where the Lakers trade Kyle Kuzma, Contavious Caldwell-Pope, Montrez Harrell, and the number 22 overall pick, which ended up turning into Isaiah Jackson from Kentucky for Russell Westbrook and two future seconds. So Dave... We got our big trade. What are your immediate thoughts on this trade? That I hate the Lakers or I just, I'm tired. Like we just talked about in the intro how it was so nice to see the Suns and the Bucks in the finals. No super team, just a couple of superstars and their supporting casts going at it, proving that you don't have to have a bunch of like top 10 players on your team in order to win the championship. And what do we have? We have the Lakers trying to match the Nets' big three with a big three of their own. And, uh, I mean, Russell Westbrook's a great player, but this just puts a bad taste in my mouth, you know, especially what, I mean, how many times has Westbrook gotten traded now in the past, like four years, like three times he's been traded three times, three in three years. So he was the only MVP to be traded in consecutive seasons. And now it's three in a row. I just, what, what does he think is going to happen? Like, 
I mean, sure, I don't necessarily expect him to leave the Lakers now that he's finally reached his destination where everybody wants to go to the Lakers. Uh, but, man, at, at some point, it's like a, it's like the Taylor Swift thing. It's like, who's really the problem here, you know? Apologies to Taylor Swift or anyone who listens. I'm sure she's great. And, and to your point, you look at the uh, teammates that he's had, whether it's James Harden, in Houston or the like, combination of James Harden and Kevin Durant and Ibaka in OKC or Bradley Beal. I mean, that's kind of the lowest end of it, but still he no success. And now you go to join LeBron and AD. If you can't win with LeBron and AD on your team, like having seen the kind of trash that LeBron has been able to drag into the finals before next season is going to be very interesting. I don't know who they're going to have to play on the wings. Like who's going to spread the floor. I mean, sure. Technically all three of their big superstars can shoot, but not that they're not three point shooters by trade. Like that's not their go-to skill. I mean, the Lakers probably needed another ball handler, another point guard, but it almost just seems like instead of trying to build a team, they're just trying to like paper that all over by just going after a really big name and hoping that the the guys can all make it work. We literally just saw this with the Nets and it didn't work. Of course, they had injuries and whatever, but still. Um, Anthony Davis will have injuries. Yeah, Anthony Data Davis. I mean, for the Wizards, good for them. I mean, Kyle Kuzma, KCP. Montrez Harrell, nothing to write home about necessarily, but you get rid of that gigantic Westbrook contract. You you get Isaiah Jackson, who you know could be a decent piece for you moving forward. You see what you have there, and you're just giving up a couple future second rounders. I think one's twenty twenty four, one's twenty twenty eight. Like, come on. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, Lakers. I guess they're just gonna go for it and try to maximize the last couple years of LeBron. Of course, I say that. Who knows? Maybe he'll continue to play until he's 40. I don't know. Um, the Wizards get rid of the, that Westbrook contract, and who knows? Maybe Kuzma, Harrell, KCP, Bradley Beal, Hachimura. I mean, they have some decent players now. I, maybe that's a playoff team, eight seed. But again, nothing really to get too excited about. In my mind... The Wizards won this just by shedding that contract like you talked about and preparing for the future. Whether that means like they're gearing up for a playoff push or they're just like rebuilding and seeing what assets they can pile up. I do like that pick of Isaiah Jackson. And I think, you know, maybe they'll just want the cap flexibility to see if they can pull another big name player to play with Bradley Beal. As for the Lakers... The one thing you can't criticize Westbrook on is his effort on the court. Like he always gives you 100%, which is to be respected. And I think like from the Lakers perspective, at least like when Anthony Davis inevitably isn't playing and even if like LeBron needs to rest, whether that means playing fewer minutes in some games or just taking a game or two off, you have Russell Westbrook He's going to come in and be that energizer bunny and like keep the, uh, keep the energy up, keep the 
intensity up. So maybe the Lakers don't drop off as much when their previous two stars aren't playing. Because Westbrook can elevate a team. He really can. It's just that that doesn't always lead to winning. So I think it does work out in some ways for both teams, but I do pick the Wizards as the winners of this trade. Whenever you can shed like a $40 million deal. Yeah, especially when you know your team isn't going anywhere. Yeah, we had to talk about that trade because it was huge, right? Outside of that, we're going to talk about some of our biggest surprises from this draft. So besides this blockbuster deal, Dave, what was the biggest surprise for you during this draft? There were a couple. I'll I'll give a couple honorable mentions. Uh, Josh Giddy at number six. I'll touch on that a little bit later. Uh, That was a lot higher than I was anticipating him going. Um, The guy that Mike's going to pick was also pretty surprising as well. I won't spoil that for you. Uh, But I'm going to go with a guy who actually slid a lot further than I thought. Sharif Cooper, the newest Atlanta Hawk. Now, Sharif Cooper was a guy who a lot of people were thinking, first round talent, maybe top 20 pick, really exciting playmaker, pure point guard. A lot of people were saying maybe you know a poor man's Trey Young. He's he's got kind of similar a similar style to his game. He's got the ball handling. He's got the vision. He can get to the free throw line. Soft touch on the floater. And uh, what do the Hawks do? They just sit on their hands and let him continue to fall all the way to forty eight, and gladly snapped him up without thinking twice because one of the main goals for the Hawks that we had, and I think that the organization had was what happens when Trey young isn't playing? What happens when Trey young's not on the floor? And now they kind of have their answer because you can put Sharif Cooper in and he's just going to give you a lot of the same things that Trey does. And I'm sure Trey will be able to teach Sharif a lot of things. And for the number 48 pick in the draft, to probably come in and be your backup point guard and provide those valuable minutes. That's a steal. That is probably got to be the biggest steal of the night, in my opinion. And also a big surprise because no one expected him to be, I don't think many people expected him to be picked in the second round, much less at 48, the bottom half of the second round. So amazing job by Travis Schlink. I don't know what everybody else was thinking, but the Hawks will definitely take it. And last episode, Mike was saying, maybe we take Sharif Cooper in the first round. Well, we didn't have to. So that's my biggest surprise is Sharif Cooper sliding to the Hawks, but I am very happy about it. Took the words right out of my mouth. I was waiting when we had pick 20. I was like, come on, Sharif Cooper, here we go. It's a slam dunk, right? And we pass on him. And I go, ah, dang it. And then we get into like that 42, 43, and I'm like, hold on, hold on. Am I seeing this right? No one touched Sharif Cooper. And then he fell to 48. Yeah, biggest steal of the draft by far to me. I don't think, like, I would not challenge you at all on that. And I am so hyped that we got him. Yeah. And it's nice, like you said, that last time I said, hey, let's get Sharif Cooper, and it actually worked out. Mm -hmm. And we were also looking, the Raptors had back-to-back picks 
right before the Hawks picked. They picked two point guards, and neither of them was Sharif Cooper. I was saying, I I bet the Raptors take Sharif Cooper with one of these picks. They've got to. They end up taking two other point guards, and Sharif falls right into the Hawks' lap. So we'll take it for sure. Oh, absolutely. And uh, so happy to see that. My biggest surprise isn't someone that fell. It's a high riser. Someone explain to me why Josh Primo is getting drafted 12th to the Spurs when on most big boards, he was around like 35. I understand like the Spurs needs and like they're thinking, well, we could use a playmaker. Two episodes ago, we talked about the draft combine and we each picked a a player that we were looking at in the first round. We each picked a player we were looking at in the second round. And Josh Primo was the guy I looked at in the second round. And we were like, okay, yeah, he's probably like a a 35 to 40 pick. And he goes 12th. When that was announced, I was stunned. You know, that's before Corey Kispert. It's before Moses Moody. And if DeRozan ends up leaving, Moses Moody makes sense for the Spurs to get. And if they wanted like more of a playmaker, like we said, Sharif Cooper was available to them. And... I would absolutely put Sharif Cooper over Josh Primo. So far be it from me to question the decision-making of the Spurs, but this to me was shocking. Oh yeah. I mean, there are, there are guys who rise in the draft process, but this was probably a bit too far of a rise in my opinion. I mean, maybe the Spurs just, they just fell in love with his potential. I, I don't know. I mean, he is the youngest player in the draft. Uh, but yeah, it's, that was definitely a shocker. We we were both like, wait, what? Josh Primo is not what we were expecting at all. So yeah, pretty interesting. Uh, so now we're going to move on to um, the best fit. Uh, and I'm going to choose... Trey Murphy the third out of Virginia going to the Pelicans. So originally, uh, this pick, which was number 17 overall, this pick was going to go to the Grizzlies. Pelicans ended up making a trade. Uh, this was before the draft started, so everybody knew this was a thing coming in. Uh, but <clears throat> with this trade, they managed to open up more than $36 million in cap room by... Uh, having the Grizzlies take on Eric Bledsoe's and Steven Adams contracts that obviously freed up that room and they ended up going from 10 to 17 and they still managed to land Trey Murphy, the third who I think 17 was kind of around the range that people were expecting him to go, but this is a, a three and D shooting guard slash small forward, uh, six, eight, two Oh six who's a guy who can kind of come in and just play a role right away and be an immediate contributor for that team. And the Pelicans are trying to compete. Uh, I think that they're under a lot of pressure to be a playoff team next season with Zion, with Brandon Ingram. Uh, We'll see what ends up happening with Lonzo. But I think Trey Murphy is the type of guy who you can plug in. Maybe he's he's a starter right away. Maybe he comes off the bench and provides you some valuable minutes. Um, but 
he's converted 43% of his three-pointers. And he's 21, so um, not too old, not too young, but definitely a guy who can immediately contribute right away. Um, And not only that, he shot 90% or 93% from the free throw line as well in college. So that just shows you his shooting strokes legit. Uh, and that's just another pro in his in his column. So uh, Trey Murphy, the third, uh, is my pick for best fit. I agree. I think he is a great fit in New Orleans, uh, especially, like you said, uh, they want to win very soon with Zion. You get the feeling there are some jobs at stake there. And when you have Zion on your team, you need shooting around him. Otherwise, it's just not going to work. And if they're able to keep Lonzo Ball, who is a known distributor, then shooting is going to complement him as well. Coincidentally, the player I picked for best fit is Zaire Williams going to the Grizzlies. And he was picked at 10. These picks were traded for each other. So a win-win in that in that regard, assuming these work out, right? These are immediately after the draft. So we don't know yet, but Zaire Williams out of Stanford brings good size, 6'8 with a 6'10 wingspan. And he's a good shooter with defensive potential and plugging him into this Grizzlies team, first of all, if he's able to go in and start, which I have no reason to think he won't, that gives us John Morant, Dylan Brooks, Zaire Williams, Jaron Jackson, and now Steven Adams, which gives John Morant a lot of tools. We see his um, his development like skyrocketing, right? He's been balling his first few years. But I'm also looking at it from the perspective of, we've talked about this player before, but look at the impact Cam Johnson has had in Phoenix, right? A, a player coming out with decent size and good shooting, playing a quick, like, providing an immediate benefit to a team trying to make a playoff push. And I see Zaire Williams as potentially being able to have that sort of impact on this Memphis team. Um, With his defensive versatility, like adding to what they have going on, that'll help support Dylan Brooks. I like this pick a lot for Memphis. Yeah. And I think Zaire Williams is a guy who coming out of high school was viewed as a potential top five pick uh, and he didn't play quite as well in college as a lot of people expected so that kind of soured a lot of scouts on him and a lot of executives but uh, but obviously the Grizzlies saw something in him and, and I think they're hoping that he's more of the guy they saw in high school rather than the guy they saw in college uh, and we, we've seen that happen before as well where guys didn't necessarily have the best college careers but were able to translate to the NBA uh, and and be successful. So, but from our from where where we're standing, that's a big win win trade for both teams. Definitely, and then it leads to that debate of like who won the trade in terms of you know the exchange of Stephen Adams and Eric Bledsoe for Jonas Valanciunas, so on and so forth. But as we're looking at just these picks, both teams are getting solid contributors there. Uh, nothing to be upset about if you're a Pelicans fan and you just watch your team go down seven picks like I think you still get a great player at 17 not to mention the 36 million dollars they shed in cap space yeah and if you're somehow able to convince someone to come to New Orleans which good luck with that then it really does help your help you in your 
quest to keep Zion happy, which should be priorities numbers priority numbers one, two, and three. Yeah, free agents are putting the gnaw in Nolens. <laughs> Anyways. <clears throat> Pella can't get a free agent. Right. Um so now we're gonna we're just gonna keep the jokes running here because uh now we're gonna go into our worst fit. And no, we're not talking about how they're going to fit in with their new team. We're talking about the worst outfit on the night. And I think that Mike and I are in agreement. Yeah, we knew it pretty much the second he walked across the stage. Yeah, and you couldn't miss him. It was Jalen Green who ended up going number two overall to the Rockets, shooting guard out of the G League. And uh, if you didn't see the suit this man was rocking, then, I mean, I guess you weren't really missing out on too much. But just picture a, a bunch of, like, shiny diamonds, but, like, not real diamonds, just kind of, like, sequin-looking things all over this dude's suit. Uh, Yeah, that was pretty much it, really. We'll post a picture of that on our social for you. So that you can see it if you are if you so desire to see such a suit. But yeah, some of some of these players came out looking nice, looking sharp, right? I would say most um, of them actually. Most of them are looking yeah. pretty good. Mm-hmm. We talked about Evan Mobley's suit, like not being something we could pull off, but he he made it work. Um, I had a little laugh at Corey Kispert. Uh, I said he looked like he was going to his fraternity semi formal, uh, just like the. Dark blue pants, the light blue blazer, the white shoes. So not like he didn't look bad. He just looked comparatively underdressed. But, you know, that doesn't get him worse fit. I will just be thankful that no one came in wearing the suit with shorts look. I hope that that is dead. Yeah, I, I Trey, Trey we, Young. We, we love you. We love you here in Atlanta, man. Definitely stick around. Um Great playoff run, but please, 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 never, ever wear a suit with shorts ever again. It's so contradictory to the swagger that he has on the court. It's not even like he has good legs or anything. It's not like his calves are even that great, you know? Like, <laughs> I feel like if you're going to do that, at least, like, you know, got to be a big proponent of leg day or something but like like saquon barkley or something yeah <laughs> imagine if saquon barkley wore sh- freaking <laughs> shorts to the nfl draft that would be something that'd be something else. yeah but anyway so i so i think yeah we're in agreement worst fit goes to jalen green now i think he's gonna fit a lot better on the uh, on the Rockets than he did in that suit, but that's definitely safe to say. And we'll get into the Rockets a little bit later, <laughs> but here's the the big one to me. Our way too early rookie of the year predictions. So we have not seen these guys play a second of NBA ball. Dave, who you got for rookie of the year? Well, I didn't need to see this man play one second in the NBA before knowing that he was going to be the rookie of the year. And that's because I'm going with the slam dunk pick of Cade Cunningham. I mean, the man went number one overall for a reason, okay? 
I know it's not like groundbreaking or earth shattering news to you, but I think he's probably best equipped to win rookie of the year. I mean, in Detroit, they've got some decent complimentary pieces. Sadiq Bay, Isaiah Stewart, uh, Jeremy Grant kind of took on that, but kind of by default, that number one scoring option for them last year. And let's be honest, Jeremy Grant's not a number one scoring option. Cade Cunningham was drafted number one to be the number one scoring option. Not only that, but he's going to be able to show off his playmaking a lot better uh, than he was at Oklahoma State. And he's just put in that position to succeed. And I'm sure they're going to put a lot on his shoulders right away, as you're supposed to do for a number one overall pick. So Cade Cunningham's my choice. Uh, again, it's not sexy, but I think that it makes a lot of sense. And as far as these predictions have been going so far, I kind of want to choose one that has a decent amount of chance succeeding. So that's why I'm going to go with Cade Cunningham. My prediction for Rookie of the Year is a franchise-changing player, Jalen Suggs. We saw the late-game block. We saw the distributing abilities. We've seen the competitive nature that he has, which I think bodes well for his success as a rookie in the NBA. And for whatever it's worth, not that Orlando has an extensive history of being a prominent force in the NBA. I just think it's a sexier area than Detroit. I think it puts him in a better environment, even if that's slightly better. I trust Orlando a little bit more than Detroit, and I trust Jalen Suggs' mentality a little bit more than what I know of Cade Cunningham. That's not to shade him at all. That's just saying I've seen, or I know what I've seen from Jalen Suggs, and I wouldn't be shocked to see him walk away with Rookie of the Year. Yeah, I think Cade Cunningham, because of that number one overall pick status, I feel like when you get pick number one, you're like by default supposed to win rookie of the year or at least be a top contender for it. Um, I mean, we saw LaMelo Ball win it last year and he didn't even play that many games. Um, And his team certainly didn't do that great. So I think as far as just stats go, I think that's why I picked Cunningham is just, I think he'll have the opportunity to rack up a lot of stats, even if it doesn't necessarily translate to a lot of wins. Now, if we're talking about who do we think will actually translate to more wins, then I would, I would maybe lean towards Jalen Suggs. Cause I think he has that, those intangibles and he has that ability to affect the game in in a lot of, a lot of different ways. And Cade Cunningham does too, but I'm just a believer in Jalen Suggs and um, that, that he's more of a winner. I agree. I think at the end of the day, if you walked out with one of those top five players, it's hard to complain, really. We did have a good top five in this draft. So whoever wins Rookie of the Year, I think the other four will still be good. Rookie of the Year, it's a personal award, right? We're just picking who we think is going to win that award, but that doesn't mean that that if I'm right, that the Pistons are at a loss with Kate Cunningham. I think they're both poised for at least some decent success. So we also wanted to look back at the three teams that we each looked at on the last episode, where we talked about a rebuilding team, a middling team, and a contending team, and what we thought those teams' big needs were, what they should be focusing on going into the draft, 
And now, now that the draft is, has taken place, we want to look and see how those teams did. Dave, your rebuilding team was the Oklahoma City Thunder. How do you think they did? Well, <clears throat> I think it was going to be hard for the Thunder to completely screw this up because they had so many picks. Uh, and the Thunder have done a, a pretty good job of hoarding draft capital. Uh, I don't, I'm not in love with their draft. I'll say that, but I think they do have, they have emerged with some pieces going into the draft. I said that their main areas of need were wings and bigs because they were pretty much set at, with at point guard with Shea Gilgis Alexander and for now, Kemba Walker, all these picks, you got to package at least some of them and move up to try to get best available. And they did end up packaging a couple picks, but it didn't end up working out exactly like I had planned. Uh, So at six, they ended up picking up Josh Giddy, uh, who was actually part of our uh, preview series where I picked him as my top international prospect. I was not expecting him to get drafted at number six, uh, especially since they already have Shade Gilgis Alexander. But I think for the Thunder, they're in a position of we're just going to take the best available player on our board, regardless of fit, regardless of need, because we're in that complete rebuilding mode. And I think Josh Giddy is a guy who has a lot, a lot of potential. Um, we talked about it on the last podcast. Great playmaking, needs to work on his shooting, needs to work on his defense, but the instincts are there and he's still really young and he competed at a pretty high level uh, overseas at that young age. So not in love with that pick there, but I can understand why they did it. Then they traded number 16 for two future firsts from the Rockets. So again, just continuing to stockpile assets for the future. They drafted Trey Mann, point guard from Florida at 18. And I'll try to remove my anti-Florida bias and say Trey Mann's an all right player, but still. You just drafted Josh Giddy. You don't need another point guard when you have Shea Gilgis Alexander. Did not really understand that pick. Moving on to the second round, they had 34 and 36, which they traded uh, to the Knicks uh, for number 32. So not sure exactly about the value there, especially when they drafted Jeremiah Robinson Earl, a point power forward from Villanova, who solid defender. I mean, he's a solid player, but not really that flashy. And I think they could have probably packaged those picks or traded them away for more significant assets than trading 34 and 36 for number 32. That just doesn't really seem like a great use of, of draft picks to me. Uh, And then at 55 towards the end, they got Aaron Wiggins, a forward from Maryland, probably just going to go to the G league, not of huge consequence right now. So thunder, as far as, how they address their needs. Again, I think they just kind of went with who they thought was best available and they didn't really care. So I think that's why they picked Giddy, why they picked Mann, and then why they uh, traded up a little bit for Robinson Earl. They must have had those guys a lot higher on their draft boards than I think the consensus was. Um, and, you know, fair play to them for, for following that strategy. And they did get the two first, two future first rounders from the Rockets as well, which is, uh, a pretty big deal for them as well. So I think if I had to give the Thunder a grade, uh, 
honestly, I'd probably give him a C plus. Uh, Josh Giddy is a is a good player and has potential to be a great player. I like the two firsts. After that, I'm not really sure about about their selections or about their decisions. This is something I've said plenty of times before, and it's something I'll say plenty of times in the future. When it comes to drafting, there's the consensus big board, and then there's your big board. And at the end of the day, sometimes you just kind of have to go get your guy, right? We hear this a lot as it refers to, as it relates to NFL teams drafting their quarterback. If there's a player that you believe in that can be your franchise quarterback, and I'm thinking of like Daniel Jones with the Giants. I don't know why that's the first example that comes to mind. Probably because it's getting late. But if there's a player you believe in, you kind of go get him. With the Thunder, I feel like that's what they're doing with Josh Giddy, And that's what they're doing with Robinson Earl. And so I might go in that C, maybe even C minus with the caveat that if that, if those two that they like moved up for or took reaches on end up working out, then they'll look great for it. But moving on to your rebuilding team, you have the Houston Rockets. Uh, how would you grade their performance on draft night? I'm teetering between B plus and A minus. They get Jalen Green at number two. And this is a player that in a lot of other years could have gone number one or probably would have gone number one is a better way to put that because there was talk about him potentially going number one anyway this year. So you get a good player on the last episode. You talked about him as having the highest ceiling. That's a player that could definitely work out for them. I like the pick of Usman Garuba at 23. That was my best international tenacious rebounder and defender. I think that's someone that really helps and they get Josh Christopher at 24, and they're in a position to take a chance on that. He has good potential as a playmaker. He can develop that outside shot a little more. He's got some athleticism. The only thing holding me back a little bit, Alperin Shengun, still working on that name, but they traded two future first-round picks to get him at number 16. And I just don't know that they needed to trade two futures for him. I don't know that he's worth that investment necessarily. And one thing this makes me think about is before tonight, Houston hadn't drafted a player in the first round since 2015. They hadn't drafted a player since 2018. Now they're dra- they're trading away two future first rounders. Houston just doesn't seem to like the draft process. They're like, all right, we'll, we'll show up tonight That'll be it. We'll we'll call it for a few years, and we'll we'll see y'all again in like 2025 or something. So, I like Jalen Green. I like Usman. I'm cool with Josh Christopher, and I don't dislike Shengun. I just don't know about the trade for him. Yeah, I think that's fair enough. Obviously, Jalen Green could be a franchise-altering prospect, so you got to take that into consideration. Um, Shengun could. I mean, he could end up being a really quality big um, who can do a lot of different things well. But it is kind of a risk because, again, you never really know how it'll translate from one league to another. Um, 
But yeah, I, I I think I would probably give the Rockets definitely more in the A minus range. Um, because you know, I, we just said it, maybe Shingun was just really their guy and they saw that he was still available at 16 and they jumped at the chance to, to draft him. Maybe they thought he was going to go higher. Yeah. I think a minus is probably about fair. So moving on to our middling teams, you had the warriors last time and they went into this with seven and 14. What they do with seven and fourteen? What what are we feeling here? Right. So, me putting the Warriors as a middling team was kind of cheating a little bit, um, but technically it it counted in in how we were framing the the different tiers. Um, I said that the Warriors' areas of need were players who could help right away as the number one, uh, a secondary ball handler, and wing depth, and they ended up drafting both or drafting rookies at both seven and 14, which I think was a little bit surprising. Uh, I thought that maybe they would try to either package them and move up or trade them for a, a veteran or an immediate contributor at the NBA level already. But I think, you know, also because of cap room and everything, it probably made sense for them to bring on rookies who they thought could contribute right away. However, that's why I was a little confused when they picked Jonathan Kuminga at number seven, who I think is probably one of the biggest boom or bust prospects in the entire draft and not a guy who I would expect to play right away. And that's kind of what my number one area of need was for the Warriors. So I think maybe they thought his potential was too much to pass up on. At number seven, especially because obviously if they're thinking optimistically, they're not going to be drafting in the top 10 for the next few years while they ride out Steph Curry's or the rest of Steph Curry's career and Clay and Draymond, of course. So maybe they just pictured Kuminga. Maybe he doesn't contribute right now. Maybe in a couple years, he's the guy who takes him to the next level and and continues the, the dynasty, uh, if you still want to call it that. So I was a little confused about that, but again, best player available, he probably was. So it's kind of a, an interesting one for that one. And But I, I did really love their next pick, which was Moses Moody, uh, shooting guard out of Arkansas, 6'6", 205. And this dude has a, gr- a really solid wingspan, around 7'1", for a wing at 6'6". That's pretty crazy. Um, so you know that he can play both shooting guard and small forward and be and be able to switch on defense. Uh, he's the type of guy who can really just fit in with any team. Um, and the Warriors, like I said, they needed wing depth, uh, and they got that with Moses Moody. I think that's a very solid pick by them, kind of swinging for the f- fences with Kuminga and then playing it safe and going with a, you know, somebody who they, they know what they're, what they're going to get from uh, in Moses Moody. So I think overall for the Warriors, they only had those two picks. Um, it's hard to knock them too much when they pick probably the consensus best player available at number seven and then number 14. Again, you could argue is the best player available or at least a guy who would be the best player available for the Warriors specifically. So I think I'm going to probably give the Warriors a... Um, 
I'm going to give them an A minus just because their number, their their top pick wasn't a guy who I think can contribute right away to help them really move the needle and, and win more games. But maybe two, three years down the line, he ends up looking like a really amazing option. I like what the Warriors did. Usually when we talk about teams that have two draft picks that are somewhat close to each other, we usually talk about, okay, you take one that's sort of high risk, high reward, and you take one that's relatively safe. And I feel like that's what the Warriors did with Kaminga being that high risk, high reward, and Moses Moody being relatively safe. Like you said, you can help them right away. Kaminga maybe more for their future, whereas Moody is more for right now. And I feel bad for them. I feel like Chris Duarte would have been a great fit for them. He got snatched by the Pacers at pick 13 right before them. But that's not their fault. I have no problem with with anything you said about the Warriors, though. My middling team was the Knicks, and I'm suspicious. When we talked about them last time, we said they needed a guy that could get his own shot on the perimeter. That was like their main need. And then I mentioned the possibility of they're trading for Colin Sexton. They traded number 19 to the Hornets for a future first. Okay. Then they draft Keon Johnson at 21 and then trade him to the Clippers. Which, I mean, Keon Johnson slid, but that's beside the point. So they move down to 25, where they draft Quentin Grimes, who's a 3 and D guard. Which, we also talked about, they could use shooting. right? So, cool there, whatever. Then they trade, you mentioned this trade already, but they trade number 32 to the Thunder, and they move down to 34, where they get Rokas Jugabaitis, or however you say that, I'm sorry, and Miles McBride at 36. No problems there. I mean, Rokas can be a pick-and-roll ball handler. Miles McBride is not bad as a defender and like secondary playmaker maybe then they get jericho sims at 58 that's a great pick you talked about jericho sims a few episodes ago in the same episode where i talked about josh primo unlike primo this man stayed in the second round where he probably belonged but 58 i think is still a steal on him i I would have gone closer to like that 40 number if you're if i'm making a big board on him or on these prospects so 58 that's a steal So I like that pick. The reason I said suspicious, yes, they get those two playmakers at the beginning of the second round. I would have really expected them to make, I mean, how many times can we say this man's name tonight? Sharif Cooper. Like that would have been a great player for them to pick up, but they didn't. And before the draft, we get news of Cleveland making a trade where they're getting Ricky Rubio, another guard to add to Colin Sexton and Darius Garland. So now I'm confused because that makes me think, is Sexton on the move? And then the Knicks draft as if they're expecting Sexton to show up. So we didn't see that trade tonight. I just am curious to see if in the coming days we're going to see a Colin Sexton to the Knicks trade. You heard it here first. And and based on that, I'm going to... Assuming they draft Colin Sexton, I'm going to give this an A minus 
or a B plus again in that area. I think this is successful if that happens, but if not, I'm going down to that C plus range. But yeah, I mean, it's the Knicks. We can't we can't try to figure out exactly why they do what they do. There's something in the air at Madison Square Garden. It's maybe it's all the smog. For uh, I don't know something like that. Um, either way, yeah, I think the Knicks did okay. Um, but again, it'll just depend on that's Colin Sexton trade. I think uh, to to really figure out exactly what their end goal for this draft was. I agree. So we'll we'll meet in the middle. I think I'm going to call this a B for now, to be determined later. TBD. Anyways, man, these oh, man. <laughs> the, the, <laughs> these jokes are just getting progressively worse as it gets progressively later. Um, so now we're going to move on to my contending team, which was the Brooklyn Nets. Uh, the Nets had actually had four picks going into this draft, three of them in the second round, and they also had number 27 as well. Um, my, uh, my thought of course, kind of similar to the, the warriors was that they need immediate contributors because of course they are looking to win a championship as soon as possible. Cause that's how their roster is built. Uh, and I also emphasize defense for them because that's something that they lack. And I think what's interesting is that they did fulfill both of those needs and they also kind of at like did even more than I was expecting. So the Nets ended up drafting Cameron Thomas, shooting guard out of LSU, with the 27th pick, which I think was a little bit of a slide for him. He's a microwave scorer, a guy who can come off the bench for them and provide another spark. What's interesting is that Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, James Harden, all these guys are amazing ISO players. So what do they do? They get arguably one of the best ISO players in the draft and draft him so they can have a guy coming off the bench. You can do the same thing. They're just going to ISO everybody to death, I suppose. I don't know. Um, but I, that's a good value. And he's a guy who can come in and, and he can get you a bucket right now. Uh, moving on, they also got Dayron Sharp and traded into the first round and, and grabbed him. Uh, to be a backup big for them. And we talked a little bit about Dayron Sharp uh, in the previous episode as well. Really solid big, not, not necessarily going to stretch the floor for you, but he can provide some some solid rebounding, probably an, an above average passer for a big as well. Uh, so I liked that pick. And then in the second round, they got Kessler Edwards out of Pepperdine, who is providing some of that wing defense that I was prioritizing for them as well. Uh, six foot eight, six foot eleven wingspan. He shot forty percent from three from college, but pretty unorthodox mechanics. So jury's still out on whether or not he'll be able to translate that. Um, but again, we we've talked about this before. You can teach shooting, uh, but they need. I think he can come in and and play some defense right away for them off the bench. Then they also grabbed Marcus. Zagorowski is how I'm going to try to pronounce that. He was a, a a reach. I don't really know what they were doing on this one, to be honest. But this was towards the back, you know, back half of the second round. So if they want to take a flyer on this dude, point guard out of Creighton, then by all means, go for it. 
And they also picked up Raekwon Gray from Florida State, my guy, uh, the second to last pick in the draft. Pretty interesting prospect. Six foot eight, 270 pounds. So I, I, that's a big old boy right there. But he can handle the ball, pass the ball, defensive versatility. So kind of a, a good flyer to take at the end of the draft. Uh, and maybe a guy who can contribute a little bit, but I'm, I'm thinking probably more of a G League type of player, uh, get his conditioning sorted out and c- continue to develop <clears throat> his game. And then maybe he'll be able to contribute to the Nets a little bit later on down the line. But overall, I thought the Nets did a great job of kind of fulfilling all of their needs and also getting guys, whether whether they were steals or right around where they should have been drafted. So I'm going to give the Nets an A on this one. Um, I don't love it because, again, this whole super team thing. But I'm being an unbiased grader here. And yeah, I think the Nets deserved an A for their draft this time. I agree with that, and I think the main reason I agree is when you're a contending team, you want players that you can plug in right away, and that's what I see with Cameron Thomas, and that's what I see with Aaron Sharp. The fact that they addressed needs that you discussed and added, I mean, you said a fourth good ISO player. Like, What team is equipped to defend all of these scorers? None. the the answer is is no team. Yeah, so they they didn't have a super high draft pick to make some major splashy move, but that's because they were good and so they didn't need to make a big splashy move. Remember when we do these these grades, it's not based on the talent level that they get. It's about how they fulfilled their needs and did what they needed to do with the positioning that they had in the draft. So I agree. I agree for sure. My contending team that I was so excited to talk about as a contending team, the Atlanta Hawks. Man, oh man, I can't say it enough. Atlanta Hawks are a contending team. Hey, hey, Mike. Do you know the Hawks are a contending team? Dude, the Hawks are a contending team. Dude, no way! It's phenomenal. All right. Moving on. Continue. Sharif Cooper. I'm going to keep this part short because we've talked about it already. I was just hyped to see us get Sharif Cooper in general, but the fact that we got him at 48 after I thought all hope was lost, oh man, that was that was a great moment. We addressed our biggest need, which was a playmaker to facilitate the offense when Trey is not on the court. We got We got that in Sharif Cooper. And for what it's worth, this is a player from Atlanta, from the Atlanta area. He went to high school in the Atlanta area. I love this pick. At 20, we got Jalen Johnson, whose name you might remember from our last episode, where he was named by Dave the most overhyped, a sentiment that I did not disagree with. And I'm concerned. But I'm optimistic at the same time. And the reason I'm optimistic is because of Travis Schlenk. Now, if this were like four years ago, then I'd be like, all hope is lost. We made another bad move. But Travis Schlenk 
has given us reason to be optimi- reason to be optimistic. He's been more than competent in building this team. He's done a phenomenal job. And our reasoning for making him or describing Jalen Johnson as overhyped was because of potential character concerns, having left the program at Duke and everything. I have to trust that Travis Schlank had a conversation with him, got to know him a little bit. And we saw like after the fact that while he didn't necessarily work out for the Hawks, he did interview with the Hawks. And so I hesitate to think that Schlank would have drafted him if that interview went poorly. Jalen Johnson had good things to say about wanting to give his all to Atlanta for taking a chance on him. And so while Duke has me like kind of shrugging a little bit, I'm trusting Schlank on this one. Skill-wise, Jalen Johnson's better than 20. No question. He's he dropped to 20 because of you know what we've already described about his leaving the program and everything. If he's committed to us, I think this, in retrospect, can become a steal. And that would mean our two picks at 20 and 48 were both major steals, in which case we have to get an A+. The only other thing I want to say about this is John Collins is going to be a restricted free agent, and we draft a 6'9 with a 6'11 wingspan, Jalen Johnson whose mechanics need work, but he has shooting potential. He's athletic. I just can't help but wonder what this says about John Collins' future with the Hawks. Is this John Collins' replacement? But at face value, assuming I'm right to trust Schlenk, which I'm going to go with for now, I'm giving the Hawks an A-plus here. Yeah, and if you listen to that episode, I definitely went in on Jalen Johnson. Um, So... When we drafted him, my initial reaction was like, man, really? We could have drafted Sharif Cooper. (laughs) Now, it was almost like when we drafted Sharif Cooper, I was just kind of like, well, at least we got the guy we wanted. And now we also have this other guy who could, like, is, again, a real, really big high risk, high reward type of guy. Um, I, I stand by what I said. I don't like people who, who quit after making a commitment. Um, and that's what he did. He, we don't know all the details, of course, but he quit on Duke. And not only that, but in high school, he transferred schools multiple times. Um, so I, I don't know what that means about potentially like a long-term future with the Hawks. But like you said, talent-wise, his start to his due career was so good that people were talking about him as a top five pick. Then obviously things kind of fell apart, but you got a guy like coach McMillan who really brought a bunch of mostly younger guys or a couple older guys, but mostly younger guys together for this playoff run made Trey a believer. Uh, Hopefully he'll be able to work with Jalen Johnson and be a, a, a steady calming a reliable influence on him, get the best out of him. And then if he ends up showing that top five potential and Sharif Cooper, you know, shows his, you know, maybe top 15 potential in this draft, like he should have maybe gone. 
then, I mean, the Hawks absolutely knock it out of the park. Or maybe Jalen Johnson is that guy who we can't trust and ends up being a, a locker room cancer and doesn't show up for practice and isn't committed to the team demands a a trade who knows then obviously it it could go really south but um let's be optimistic here you know we're we're coming off a, a really great playoff run a stunning turnaround under coach McMillan Travis Schlenk has done an amazing job at drafting players uh since his tenure or since his time here in Atlanta started and we got to trust him so I'm behind you 100%. Let's go A+, uh, and let's go Hawks. It feels good to be a Hawks fan after the draft, being able to say, I feel like that went well, or at least has potential to have gone well. I just want to respond to one other thing we said on the previous episode. We talked a bit about the disrespect at the thought of Luka Garza not getting drafted. Thank you, Detroit for drafting Luca Garza and Isaiah Livers after he was unable to really show out in March Madness because of his injury. Thank you for taking a chance on him. I know that the crowd there really appreciated, right? The, cr- the crowd in Detroit really appreciated seeing a Michigan man go to their home team. And of course with Cade Cunningham, like I think Pistons drafted really well, but I'm just glad to see Luca Garza got drafted. Out of all Wooden Award winners, he was the lowest drafted ever in history. But at least he got drafted, and now he'll, you know, a team like Detroit, he'll have a chance to to prove that he belongs. So I'll be interested to see how, how he performs. That wraps up kind of our, our uh, post-draft superlatives and our team recaps. So <laughs> all that's left for us to do is to talk about our bold predictions that we made before the draft and uh i'll go ahead and say that uh my prediction which in case you need a refresher was that half of all the picks in the draft were going to be traded that didn't end up happening however i will say a couple things number one it made me even more excited when a trade was announced, because normally I, I love, I love the NBA and I love the NBA off season because there are so many trades that happen and trades have, can have a really big effect on teams because there's just fewer players on the teams. Um, so I got even more excited when trades happened because oh, that also meant at least one pick was moving. Our final number, at least for right now is 21. Um, there might be a couple more here or there that get announced later on, or we might've missed a couple. All I know is we didn't end up getting to 30, which was definitely a big ask, but I'll, I'll take it. You know, I swung for the fences. I feel like it was a valiant effort and Hey, there were a lot of trades that happened. Uh, so, you know, I may not have, my bull prediction may not have been correct, but I, you know, it's worth a shot. And for what it's worth, there were also like four or five picks that changed hands multiple times. So if we talk about like the number of trades, it's closer to like 25, 26. It just so happened that those trades had already been moved again. I think when you made the bold prediction, we talked about 20 maybe being like, 
oh, well, 20 is reasonable. Um, but I respect, like, you know, you don't take reasonable. You take bold, right? So I respect that. You know, that give, that makes me think maybe we should start a reasonable predictions <laughs> segment instead of a bold predictions segment where we say things that eh, probably have a decent chance of happening just to, you know, massage our egos a little bit. <laughs> Just to show that we can, in fact, get something right. Yeah. Because guess what? My bold prediction was wrong as well. Because I predicted that there would be a trade in the top five. We'll make this short, sweet, and to the point. There was not a trade in the top five. There was not a trade until number 10. So if I had said top 10, I would have gotten it in by the skin of my teeth, but... That's not what I said, so I was wrong. Right, and that also wouldn't have been a bold prediction. <laughs> yeah. That would have been a, a reasonable prediction. <laughs> we don't do reasonable predictions. Right. Not yet. <laughs> not, not yet. Maybe we will. <laughs> we have to switch gears in a couple weeks. Right. So we're we're each 0 for 2, so we're 0 for 4 overall. If we do another round of these and we end up both being wrong again, then we might have to take a break and do a reasonable prediction round or two. We'll see what bold predictions we end up with next time. Then with that being said, that wraps up our recap, our analysis of the 2021 NBA draft, at least the night of when we come back, we're going to put somebody on the hot seat and we're going to get this episode's Dave's fun fact. What's up everybody. Welcome back. So now we're going to go into the hot seat and uh, we've got a, a very good candidate this week. This made us laugh when we saw this earlier. Uh, Mike, who do we have this week? I'll tell you, it's good to be getting back to a a funny hot seat candidate. We've had a couple serious ones lately. Gardner Minshew of the Jag- Jacksonville Jaguars. You may know him from his mullet. Or his mustache. Or his jorts. You may not know him for his exemplary quarterback play. Now, as you probably know, the Jacksonville Jaguars selected much-anticipated number one pick, Trevor Lawrence out of Clemson. And as such, he is the presumptive starter from day one. Gardner Minshew intends to give him a little bit of competition. As he was quoted in saying, In preparation for the competition, I haven't taken a shit in weeks because number two isn't an option for me. Slow claps for Gardner Minshew, ladies and gentlemen. What a quote that is. Um, Obviously, like, I think everybody knows that there's not a real quarterback competition, but Gardner Minshew's a pretty funny guy uh, if you aren't really familiar with him. Honestly, a really interesting story as far as football is concerned as well. You can look him up if you want to look at that. But yeah, we saw that and we we're like, that's got to be the hot seat. That's that's just too good. So Gardner, you may want to take a laxative because I think there is a number two in your future. <laughs> Anyways, um, so we're going to slide on right past that. And... Um, I guess it's time. I'll just intro my own segment. It's time for Dave's fun fact of the week. And uh, if you weren't familiar with this segment, then where have you been? Um, but <laughs> I start. We've been uh, doing this for weeks now. Yeah, like two weeks. Um, so this is the part of the show where 
we don't talk about spores. We talk about something random that is kind of fun and or interesting. So, in honor of a recent event in my life, I'm going to give you the history of the ice cream cone. Now, maybe you're like me, and you've just been sitting in an ice cream shop, and you just wonder, who got the idea to put a a scoop of ice cream or multiple scoops inside this cone of, like, let's be honest, what is an ice cream cone even made of? Like, I don't actually know, um, but whatever. Like, who actually got that idea? Where? How did that come about? So, a couple of interesting things here. So, the first ice cream cone produced in 1896 by this Italian guy. I'm not going to try to pronounce his name. Uh, it's very Italian. Um, he was granted a patent in 1903. Whatever, that's not actually the the fun part of the story. What's interesting is that, so he was in New York City, right? What's interesting is that the following year, 1904, in St. Louis, somebody else independently came up with this idea. Because remember, back then, there was no internet. And things didn't like spread super quickly like they do now. So somebody could invent something in one part of the world. And then somebody else could invent it in a different part of the world and like nobody would know because the world was just different back then. So this is 1904, St. Louis World's Fair, that thing that they used to do back in the day. Uh, There was this Syrian concessionaire named Ernest Hamwee. All right. So he was selling these pastries that were kind of like waffles, but like crisp, like waffle-like pastries, right? Called Zalabis. And he was selling them right next to this ice cream vendor at this World's Fair. So everybody and their mom wanted to go and get ice cream. And eventually this ice cream vendor guy ran out of dishes to serve the ice cream on. So like he couldn't serve the ice cream. But this Hamwee guy saw an easy solution to this problem. He folded up one of his pastries in a cone-like shape and gave it to the guy. And then they just put the ice cream on top of it. And everybody was like blown away by how amazing this thing was. So it just started randomly taking off in St. Louis and people started like creating companies and stuff to like try to mass produce these things because it was so popular. And then obviously now fast forward to today, we have machines that are capable of producing about 150,000 ice cream cones every 24 hours. So, but what's crazy is that it's all, it all started just randomly because this Syrian guy was selling this random pastry next to this ice cream vendor and this dude didn't wasn't prepared and didn't have enough dishes. And then now we have this ice cream cone that's like universally known and like is a huge thing. So that's my fun fact of the week. And I feel like at this point it should almost be like Dave's history lessons because I just keep giving the history of things. <laughs> but yeah, that's what I got for this week. Or rebrand it history time with dave but that is that is a fun one so we've gotten the smiley face and this and the ice cream cone and the history of jack black's mall we're on quite the tear here but i think the most interesting part of that story is i mean 
for like rel for relevance sake, I don't know when ice cream itself was invented, but it's interesting that in the span of like all those years where ice cream was a thing, we had two different guys independently create ice cream cones like within like a year or so of each other in different spots, like unknowingly. Um, it's just a weird coincidence that it was like back to back. That's cool. It would hate to, I'd hate to see like a lawsuit and potential like physical altercations going down over this ice cream cone potential debacle. I mean, everybody was probably just so happy because they were just eating ice cream all the time that they probably didn't even care. Like, you know, I'll just do my thing in St. Louis. You do your thing in New York and like, it's fine. You know, I would just hate to see that go down a rocky road. Hmm. Yeah. Okay. I'll uh-huh. see myself out with that pun. So <clears throat> that concludes <laughs> Dave. That was actually, I, I respect that. That was, that was fantastic. Um, so that wraps up my fun fact for this week. And uh, we'll be right back to close out the show. So don't go anywhere. All right. And that's going to wrap up this episode of the Mike and Dave podcast. Uh, we hope you enjoyed the NBA draft and our recap as much as we enjoyed making it. Uh, yeah, uh, we're looking forward to seeing all these rookies uh, on their new teams in the next season. And uh, any closing thoughts from you, Mike? As a Hawks fan, I'm optimistic. I'm still riding that high of landing Sharif Cooper in the second round. I'm also, I also just want to say I'm happy with some of the interaction we were getting on our Facebook page. We we're having people come in asking questions about the draft, which is great. And so I'll use this as an opportunity to invite you to continue to interact with us on Facebook and Instagram and Twitter. So let us know what you think about the draft. Did your, how did your favorite team do? What players did you think made big rises, big falls? What was your biggest surprise? Of course, you can interact with us on all three platforms at Mike and Dave pod, and we'd be happy to respond to any of your thoughts and questions that you have. Oh, absolutely. And one last thing uh, before we go, uh, I thought the NBA did a really nice thing when they recognized Terrence Clark uh, and had him kind of be an honorary draftee. Um, Terrence Clark was a potential draft prospect uh, from the University of Kentucky who tragically passed away uh, from a, a, a car crash. And so obviously, you know, it's a very sad situation and what was supposed to be a really great night for him and his family uh, was obviously turned into a tragic one. Um, But they had his family there and they, you know, they read out his name like he was getting drafted and everything. So I thought that was just a really classy move by the NBA. Um, Not surprised under Adam Silver's leadership that they would do something like that. So rest in peace to Terrence Clark and uh, prayers and condolences to his family. Second that 100%. Adam Silver continues to be class personified. One of the best commissioners in sports. And I mean, you said it all. It was a really great thing to do for that family, for the memory of Terrence Clark. I hope that you've enjoyed this episode. As always, this has been Mike. And it's been Dave. And this has been the Mike and Dave podcast.